You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Welcome. Grab a Bible, if you have one, to Hebrews chapter 3. If you don't, look underneath the seat in front of you. There should be a Bible there, Hebrews chapter 3. Um, we had a starting point that was scheduled for today, and we had three people sign up. Three. We have about 50 new people since COVID started, so we realized we did not market it well enough. It's not on you. You're lovely people. It's our fault. It's not you. It's me. And so we are moving it to November 1st. We're going to call you up. If you filled out a connection card and you started attending here this year, we'll give you a call and see if you can make it. Starting point's an excellent place to get to know the pastors, the church, what we're all about, the building, and let's be honest, best of all, free food. So starting point will be November 1st. You can sign up for it through the app. You can talk to our people at the Information Center, info at lifepointaz, smoke signals, any way that you wish to sign up, we are receiving it right now. And that goes for you. If you're watching from home, let us know in the comments that you'll be attending the November 1st starting point, and maybe we will see you there. All right, Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our lamb. He is the lion. He is the wonderful counselor. There is just so many things about God that we look and we say, how? how? How is it possible to contain all of this? We know people who might have one or two. We know people who maybe just have one great quality, but Jesus encapsulates all of it, both the divine and the human. So I want you to see something here this morning. This is going to be fun. And more than fun, it's going to offend you. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm serious. I'm really, really serious here. The verses I'm going through today will you already have an opinion on. You already have one. You have been burnt by another human being. You've been burnt by a church. You've been burnt by authority. You've been burnt by me. Promise. You have been frustrated by the shepherds in your life. You have made an opinion already. What I want you to do is listen to this message this morning and ask God to be the filter you hear his word through this morning. Not your past, not experiences with bad leaders or friends or betrayals, but with this morning's messages, we read the word of God, say, God, you be my filter. What are you saying? What are you asking me to step up and do? Okay, can we do that? All right, and I will do my best to present it clearly and concisely. Hebrews 3, verse 13, and then we're going to be actually jumping around through Hebrews as we look at this concept here. Hebrews 3.13, I want you to encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So the countermeasure to deceitfulness, the countermeasure to a hard heart is what? Exhortation, an encouraging word. All right, now let's jump to chapter 10. Four, five. Skip six, seven. Chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more 
as you see the day approaching. So there becomes this theme here, right? The author of Hebrews is saying that we would consider that we would exhort one another to what? Love. Yes, good job. Love. That you would exhort one another to love. That in doing this, you would not give up meeting together because in the meeting together is where the fellowship happens. It's where the exhortation happens. It's where I could stand six feet from you or sit six feet from you, see your face, see your body language, and the Lord may say, tell them that they have a wonderful smile. Tell them that they are loved. Remind them that there's a community behind them. And you don't know why. You don't know this person, but that's what happens when we meet together. That's where the fellowship happens. That's what the church has missed so desperately in this time of quarantine where we think we have replaced it with something fantastic called streaming. And it is nice and it is a blessing from God that we have it. But for those of you who have been stuck at home, and I've talked to some of you, it's not the same, is it? It's not the same. There is the word of God and it's coming through and you're able to worship But there is a fellowship, a meeting together. And in the exhortation, once again in chapter 10, remember, this is a long either letter or a a sermon that was given. He says that uh, we should be in the habit of encouraging one another as we see the day approaching. So now let's jump to chapter 13, go into the end of this letter. And here's a word given. Chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be no, of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead... Now, I read that fast, so I want you to hear that verse again. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, Sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you just a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released, and if he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet your leaders and all of God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Would grace be with you all. So here we have this, the writer at the end of this exhortation, at the end of this letter, this call to the Christians, reminding them of their, their place, reminding them of their place in relationship to Jesus Christ. He is the shepherd, and we are the sheep. We are the sheep. Not the most glamorous animal to be compared to. It's quite possibly one of the worst animals to be compared to, right? What do we know about sheep? They're dumb. They smell bad. Yes, you have a few, right? Donkeys, goats also smell bad. We could have been called donkeys. 
but that would have been too kind and mean to the donkey. No, he called us sheep. He called us sheep. Christ himself said the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. So this isn't just like this author is taking it upon himself. Jesus Christ, God, calls us sheep. Sheep, as I'm sure you are well aware, are dirty. They have to be constantly dipped in chemicals to get rid of lice and ticks and other forms of bugs on them. They don't know how to clean themselves they don't care about their own cleanliness. You know if you let your dog or cat out and you have a smart dog or cat that it can find its way home, it can survive, not yours, but others. <laughs> My parents have a little dog that if that thing gets out, it is going to be hawk food instantly. So we must watch over it all the time. But we've heard the stories, right? Dogs get left somewhere, the family goes, dog finds its way home, just absolutely incredible. Cats keep themselves impeccably clean, they can hunt. What do sheep do? Sheep will literally walk into their own death, give up no resistance when being attacked, just bleh, that's it. Yep, I figured this was coming. That's what sheep do. They are sad, pathetic, dirty, wandering, drifting creatures. And God said, that's you. Thanks, God. I was already feeling pretty bad during COVID, and now you're a sheep. <laughs> I haven't showered, so he's right on that dirty part. I haven't showered for six months. <laughs> True story. Why? Why this image? Have you ever thought about that? It should insult you. It should insult you. And what it is insulting in you is your pride, is your flesh and sin nature. It should insult you. It was meant to insult you. It was meant to insult that lie, the accuser, the devil, that wants to tell you, you are your own shepherd. You don't need no shepherd telling you where to go and where to graze and what to do. You be your own shepherd. You be that independent sheep that breaks away from the flock and goes and does your own thing. That is the nature of the flesh. And when God comes down and says, my sheep will know my voice, you are the sheep, I am the shepherd, it was meant to insult the flesh. It was meant to wake us up. It was meant to put into perspective who we are. And we are all sheep in need of a shepherd. Do you hear me this morning? And I'm, what, I, what I'm going to say next, is that's not even the offensive part that I called you all dumb, dirty, lazy people. We're getting to the offensive part. Here's the surprising identity of who are to be shepherds in your life according to Scripture, not according to doc, uh, like some sort of Baptist background or Pentecostal background or any sorts of theology that's been brought up. This is exactly here what God has ordained. These are to be our shepherds, and it's a little surprising. Before we get to that, I want to show you two opposite but equal mistakes that we often make about shepherds in our lives. The first is what I've mentioned already, own shepherding. We do our own shepherding. I shepherd my own life. I'm accountable to nobody. I don't let anyone into my life. I don't let them tell me how to live. I don't let anyone in close because last time I let someone in close, what, what happened? They burned me. They hurt me. They shared my secrets with other people. So I don't do that anymore. Does that hit home to any of you? Us guys, we don't do it just because we don't like doing it, so we don't. We somehow think we're better off if we just 
power through, pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, muscle on. We own, we shepherd ourselves. We don't give anybody else the right to tell us how to live. Oftentimes we struggle to give that right to God, let alone another person. The second one, which is equally as devastating, is over-shepherding. Notice in verse 17 it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. It's interesting. It's an interesting statement because it means that you need someone in your life with authority over you. Always? I thought when I grew up and left outside my parents' home, I no longer needed that. I'm I'm my own man or your own woman, and I don't need some authority on me. Well, according to this scripture, it's assumed that you will submit to authority. What he's asking here is that you would obey the leaders that whose authority you're under. It's not a question if you decide to submit, it's when you submit. And so what this brings up is this idea of authoritarianism, and this is what I was saying, where we often read scriptures like this or hear a pastor preach like this about submitting to authority or spiritual authority through our own hurts and our own filters. But what I want you to see is how you in your own life right now, those of us sitting in this room, have structured our lives based off of The second one specifically, authoritarianism. And the first one is this, it's an emotional authoritarianism. You see, when you look for the great shepherd of your life, when you look for what is leading you, what is protecting you, what is guiding you, let me ask you something. If it is a human relationship, if it is a job, if it is money, if it is a security of some sort, a house paid off or whatever it is, if this is your shepherd, if this is the thing that's giving you meaning, then you have invested yourself in emotional authoritarianism. Because in your mind you're saying, as long as I have this, everything will be all right. As long as my spouse and I are together, everything is all right. As long as everything is good with all of my children, everything is all right. You hear me? Yeah, see, I'm I'm gonna offend us here. Because that's not true. You see, if I put my hope, if I put my shepherd in any one of those things, then when something happens to any one of those things, which it will, then I lose my shepherd, and I begin to wander, and I begin to question what is important, what is real, what is good, because the thing that was leading me, the thing that was making me happy, listen, the thing that was redeeming me has fallen. I read this book that came in through, I don't know, we get lots of stuff in the mail here, and I don't know why I picked this one up, but I picked it up. It was 85 pages. It's this uh, Jewish man who wrote his testimony. It's just his testimony. It's a picture of him as a young kid. Normally would not have gone into it. Opened the book up and began to read, and in it, it was so fascinating. This is a devout Jew, grew up in a devout Jewish home, uh, could recite the Shema, knew everything there was about Judaism, and yet did not know God at all. Admits that had no idea who God was. To mention the name of Jesus in a Jewish home, you would be slapped across the face. You do not even mention, he is the one who shall not be named. You do not mention his name. And so here's this guy, grows up in this, becomes a a teenager and then into his early 20s, goes out like a lot of us maybe did and tries to find some meaning in the world, hasn't found it in his religion, hasn't found it in all the decrees and doctrines he's been uh, uh, given and all the things he can recite. And so he goes and tries to find it where a lot of guys do and 
in love, in intimacy, and has these relationships with women and then finds himself empty, finds the, he feels dirty, he feels like worse than before when he was seeking for something that would give his life meaning. And he says in the book, I had to ask myself, how was I going to fix me? And so his idea was, I will go and find a good girl who is pure and kind, and I will marry her and give my life to her, and that will wash away my sins. I want you to understand, when you have listened your whole life to the message of Jesus Christ and the power of the cross and your sins being washed away, you take for granted that that is in the back of your mind, that I just need to lift this up to Jesus and he will wash me clean. Here is a young man who was never told this, ever. He was never told Jesus died on the cross for him. He was never told the power of the blood and the Son of God who came and fulfilled all of the scriptures in the Old Testament, which are the scriptures he knew. And so when he is in his early years as an adult and he makes mistakes, he is desperately finding and asking God, how? How do I wash myself clean of this filth that I feel? And his idea is what a lot of our ideas are it's to find someone who is pure, and through her purity, it would help make him pure. And so he finds this girl and woos her and dates her, and they fall in love and goes and asks her to marry him. And on the, uh, they have a totally pure relationship, and when he asks her to marry him, she says, yes, but i got to tell you something. While I was in, I forget which country it was, with her girlfriends for a vacation, I was raped and now I'm pregnant. And he says in the book, it just completely destroyed his life. Because she was his salvation. She was his ticket to stop feeling dirty. And now the thing that was so pure and innocent has been defiled by someone else. Now there's this secret that they have to carry. And now there's this whole issue they have to deal with. And he talks about how everything in his world came crashing down. See, you can have emotional authoritarianism or you can have a leader authoritarianism, which is where it's an unhealthy way in which we get strength by attaching ourselves to charismatic leaders. You can see it in politics through Hitler and other dictators and men who thought they were demigods who have gone throughout history, and then you see it in religion through men like David Koresh or Jim Jones who get people who are very charismatic, who don't know who they are, who are searching for meaning, to come and follow them because they become their shepherd and they think they're following the Bible because they have an authority in their life when there's nothing there but this person taking advantage of them. And so a lot of you, when you hear submit to authority, we think of thoughts like that, especially when it comes to religion. Oh, no, no, I'll submit up to a point, but I am keeping one foot clearly outside of the church just in case I start to think, see things not going right, I can bail. Are you submitted in that relationship? You know you're not. Imagine doing that in marriage. I'm going to marry you, but I'm also going to keep my options open. In fact, you don't have to imagine it. That's what we're doing as a country now. It's called open marriages, and they're becoming more and more prevalent. You know, I like you. I just don't know if I'm going to like you for a long time. That's fair. I don't think I'm going to like you for a long time. Perfect. So we'll each have one foot in, one foot out. When we decide we don't like each other, we'll just move on. We have a wonderful, committed relationship. <laughs> And so oftentimes, yes, David Koresh and Jim Jones and Hitler and all those are the extremes. 
But the truth is, we will still attach ourselves to a leader, a charismatic picture of what a shepherd should be. And it's equally as unhealthy as being your own shepherd. So, what does that lead us into? The answer, who should be the shepherd of your life, first and foremost? Oddly enough, and it's weird, your peers in grace. Your peers. People sitting in this room. What? They're as messed up. In fact, I know they're more messed up than me. How can they possibly be my shepherd? Well, if we read Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is much more significant than it looks. This is not just a, hey, keep going, Brian. You got this, Jeff. There, I encourage them. They are no longer hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I made a post on Facebook today, and I encouraged all my Christian friends. None of them will be deceived because of my actions. If you go down to verse 22 of chapter 13, the writer has just written this enormous theological message, right? The book of Hebrews. He's written this whole thing, and he calls it his book of exhortation. It's this extremely sophisticated, deep book. It's a book of exhortation. The Greek word is periklesis. It means to give direction, to give a word, a shepherding word, a leading word. It's to direct or guide people, periklesis. He says, I have been trying to shepherd you with this book. I have been trying to shepherd you with everything that I have written. This has been a way for me to sort of guide, periklesis. And in 3.13, he describes what we're supposed to do with each other. He says, parakaleo, one another. Parakaleo, lead one another. Shepherd one another. He does not say, I am the great authority. I am God's divine anointed shepherd. I am the one you must listen to. Right? You hear me on this? He's not pointing to himself, even though he's unbelievably wise. He's saying, you must go and be engaged in one another's life open and vulnerable with one another so that you might encourage one another that when the great deceiver comes, your heart will not be hardened and you will not fall. So if we're to be each other's shepherds, how are you doing with that? How are you doing? Who is in your life that is shepherding you? Who is in your life that you are shepherding? I'll tell you in the church, most often what this gets looked at, look like is go find a mentor, someone older, someone who's been through everything, but they've got it together now, a Christian brother or sister, and help them, and then you can confess all your problems to them. And that's a great thing to have. That's not what this is talking about. That's not what this is talking about, because in that case, you're not that person's shepherd, you're their disciple. Right, And they're mentoring you, and they're leading you, and it's great to have a mentor, but that's not what this is talking about. He's talking about your peers, people that you are shepherding as well as they are shepherding you. You have submitted yourself to their authority. And so if this is true, who are you doing that with? Who do you have in your life that you are actively, it says daily, but we're Americans, so we'll just say weekly or bi-weekly if we have the time. Who are you doing that with in your life? We talk about small groups all the time. Every church talks about small groups. You go to a church and they're like, oh my gosh, have you joined a small group? You gotta go to a small group. 
Tuesday night, small groups. Wednesday night, small groups. Thursday night, small groups. Why? Because that, friends, is where the health and the life and the shepherding happens. That's where it happens. It happens in those connections. Right now, there's women meeting for the women empowered women's group, and then there's men meeting over there, and th- those are just classes. But inside those classes, what ha- what's happening is as you come every week and you do those classes, you begin to have relationships with these people, and you begin to go and get coffee with them. And before you know it, you've developed a shepherding relationship with another brother who you have opened up with, and they have opened up with you, and maybe there's a couple others in there, and bam, you just created a small group. Congratulations. Well done. It wasn't that hard. But the truth is, as men in this culture, and I'll speak for men because I am one. uh, Yep, I am. And uh, we don't like that. We do not like that because as soon as I talk about my feelings, I might start crying. And crying is tantamount to, you know, having your pants pulled down in public, just absolutely humiliating. I'd rather have that than cry. It'd be better. We do not like it, do we, guys? We do not openly love giving information about our weaknesses to other people, do we? I'll ask again, do we? No. What about online? Do you like giving away pieces of vulnerable information that could be used against you to another person who's going to be your shepherd? No, none of us do. I don't even know if you ladies like it, you just do it more naturally than we do. But nobody wants to share the most intimate, embarrassing parts of their life with another person. And we think to ourselves, because I'm a Christian, I'll just tell Jesus. I'll tell Jesus when I'm by myself, before I'm going to bed, before I drift off to sleep. I've told him. I've confessed it there. Now it won't be a problem anymore. That's not true. You know it's not true because it's still a problem. So... We have this idea that we're supposed to be each other's peers, right? We're supposed to shepherd one another, open our lives up to one another. And in this, God says, in this relationship, you will grow. Your heart will remain softened to the deceitfulness of the enemy. You will not grow hardened and um, apathetic about who God is. Instead, because of these relationships, you will have a healthier view on your life. So again, I need to offend you. Why aren't all of us in a relationship like this? Every single one of us. And why isn't it one of the most important relationships outside of our marriage in this life? If, if we know this is true. Charles Spurgeon, fantastic guy, wonderful preacher, writer. He said, Adam and Eve, when they were perfect, were deceived by sin. Do you really think you're going to do better than them? They were perfect. And they were deceived. When I moved out here seven years ago, one of the scariest things about moving out here is I was leaving a covenant group of guys that I had been meeting with on a weekly slash, you know, two to three times a month basis for about six years. And I knew I was leaving that. And I was coming out to a place with people that I was supposed to be the shepherd of and the strong one of. And I couldn't leave that group. I didn't know anybody else out here yet. And so for three years, I kept driving into Phoenix to meet with those guys on Monday nights. During that time, I created a covenant group with other pastors out here in this area. And then by the end of that three years, I was invited to another group of pastors in the East Valley 
who were older than me and been in it longer, and they became like a mentor shepherding group. And then I finally let go of the mentoring group that I had in Phoenix and established one with guys who I'd gotten to know with out here. And you may think to yourself, well, you're a pastor. That's why you have to have three. You're an overachiever and you're an idiot. I promise you, only one of those is true. I'll let you figure out which one. But I'm telling you, I have lived life with it and I have lived life without the accountability. And it is night and day. It is night and day. This isn't about falling. This isn't about never sinning again. This is about knowing how to get back up, how to be led back into the flock, back into the presence of the shepherd when you wander. Because we found out in the beginning of chapter two, we are what? Prone to wander, aren't we? We're going to drift. And what these other shepherds do that I have put in my life and they have put me in their life is they have a voice to tell me, hey, you're getting off track. You aren't doing what you say you're doing. We see in you what you cannot see. And you want to know the greatest qualification of a peer to be your shepherd? They're not you. That's it. They don't have a degree in theology. They haven't read through the Bible this year. They're just not you. It's that simple sometimes. They see things the way you do not because you only get to see them out of your eyes. You ever hear yourself speak through an audio recording? Who loves to hear themselves speak? Why do we all hate it? Why does everyone go, that's my voice? I don't sound like that. That person sounds nasally. I sound more majestic. You know what I mean. (laughs) Oh, gosh. That was tough to get that high. But when I sing, I get that high, so it's okay. Um, Glory. Why? Scientifically, it's because we hear ourselves through the bones in our neck. Do you know that? That's how we hear ourselves. So we don't hear ourselves the way other people hear us. But whenever other people hear you on recordings, they go, no, that's exactly what you sound like. Just like when you say, I don't have a problem with pride, and you go to your covenant group and they go, oh no, that's exactly what you have a problem with. That's why they're so important, because they're not you. They're committed to God, they're committed to you, you're committed to God, you're committed to them. You see, this first one is so tough because it requires time, it requires movement and action, it requires sacrifice, my friends. And yet, if you understand that you're a sheep and you need a shepherd, well then the first one, the one that God gives us here on earth is each other, is peers to walk with, to be brave enough with to share your struggles, and then to be bold enough to call you out. And that's really the hardest thing. I'm not talking about a group of buddies who watch movies and just uh, sports together. I'm talking about guys who will actually call you out, men and who you have submitted yourself to that when they call you out, you won't get mad at them. It won't turn into a fist fight. You may not like what they have to say. You may disagree with them, but you submit to their authority. It's a powerful, powerful tool that most of us in the church do not partake in. Do you believe that? Because I thought about asking the question, who here is part of a covenant group that's that real and see how many people raise their hands? Who wants to do that? Should I do that? Okay, like four people said, let's do it. I'm going to raise my hand. Most of us aren't. 
I'm calling you to this. I have been calling you all year. I have been calling you all year to a deeper walk with the Lord. I have said there is craziness coming in this year. I said it in January. It got way crazier than even I thought. And we are two weeks away from an election that will, no matter which way it goes, cause so much more craziness in your life. Are you prepared to handle that? Do you have people around you, men, men around you, who are prepared to make sure that you don't go off the rails? Ladies, do you have people around you who are not gossiping about the problems that you have, but that love you? Who are not going to go and share it through social media and other friends, but are there because they are shepherding you just as you are shepherding them? We will not, as a church, survive. I haven't even gotten to the great shepherd. I haven't even gotten to the second part of this whole thing, and we're out of time. Because this, I don't know, for me, this is what we needed to hear today. That's why I put this one first. Obviously, Jesus is our great shepherd. I'll go, there's a whole awesome, just how God's designed that. But we, we have got to get off of our keisters. You can look it up. It's a slang word for all of you younger people in here. The older people, like Evan, you get it. Keister. We have to get off of our keisters, and we have to stop just letting Sunday morning and devotionals and private time, and we have to say, I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to work for it. I'm going to go and ask church leaders. I'm going to ask people in my relative group at the church and say, what are you doing? Who do you have? Who thinks they would actually commit to something that insane? You would actually go seek out other men if you're a man and other women if you're a woman to start a group of shepherds. Who wants to be a shepherd? Who wants to be a shepherd? I went to a doctor's appointment a couple weeks ago and you have to fill out all that stuff and it said occupation and I just wrote, I'm a shepherd. And they said that when they were putting it in, they all started laughing because then under the question, how many kids do you have? I just put too many. And they figured I meant for my children, I was a shepherd. And I no, I got a lot more than that. Who is God calling you to go and be a shepherd with? This isn't a suggestion, it's a command. It's the very first one that is mentioned here. To exhort one another. And the consequence of not doing it, friends, the consequence is that your heart becomes hardened to the word of God. I can't hear God. I haven't felt his presence in forever. How are you doing in your small group? How open are you being? How are those men or women, how are they praying for you? How are they keeping you on track? Oh, well, I don't have one of those. Oh, well, and I can tell you what happened. Your heart is hard. But I attend church, and I listen to Caleb, and I read my Bible every morning. And I even volunteer in children, for heaven's sakes. You told me that would get me to heaven. No, I told you that would get you jewels in your crown, not get you to heaven. And you say, how can I have a hard heart? I couldn't possibly have a hard heart. Because you don't have other men and women in your life who are shepherding you who are holding you accountable to the things that you say you're going to do. As we close here and we think about, we, we prepare our hearts for communion, but as we close, I, I really want you to have this time here, a few minutes of silence, and to really go before God. And, and if you're in a group, if you are in a group that is a, a group of accountability partners and shepherds where you are loving one another, calling one another out on the sin in your life, there for one another, 
then thank God for that. Ask God to uphold your group. Ask him to give you wisdom to protect you. And if you're not, if you know you're not, and that's 90% according to church statistics, 90% of us are not, then ask him what he would have you to do this week. Where do I go? How do I create a relationship out of thin air? Who in my life could I invite to be a part of something like this? Who could I ask to begin to pray to see if they would mind being in a meeting like this with me? If what is on the line is a hardened heart to the things of God, don't you think we should be more cautious and attentive to it? I'm calling us into small groups. I'm calling you out of church attendance and into small groups. Because all this here is 35 minutes of me exhorting you, of me encouraging you, of me reading the word of God and saying, here, in case you have forgotten, this is what he has called you to. Because this is what God does to me all week. Hey, in case you've forgotten, this is what I called you to. And so it's going to be hard. And if you've been burned by small groups or churches in the past, it's going to be difficult because your trust was broken. What greater tool for the devil to use on a Christian man or woman than to betray their trust when they are young in relationships? So that way you'll never go near another one again. You'll never have this. You'll never have this, this fruit. I didn't even get into the other who Jesus is, is our great shepherd. We'll continue that next week, but I do want to say this as we prepare our hearts for communion. Go before God now. Let's lower the lights. Spend some time with him. If you're a believer, we're going to partake in communion here together momentarily, and there's the cup and the bread is on the back. Paul tells us to examine ourselves before we come to the Lord's table. So do that now. sat with his disciples, they were celebrating the Passover. They were celebrating a time in Israel's history when God told his people to sacrifice a lamb, eat that lamb, and put the blood on the doorpost of your home. Because that night the angel of death was going to come by and for every home that did not have the blood of a lamb on their doorpost, the angel of death was going to take the firstborn son. And it happened all across Egypt. Pharaoh lost his son. And those who would wake up the next morning that had the blood of the lamb covering their house saw that everyone inside was safe. So this is what Jesus is celebrating centuries later with these guys. That, that, that lamb. And this is his great reveal. If he hasn't already told them and tried to tell them over and over again, in the midst of this time together, he stands up and he 
takes bread and he breaks it. He makes sure that everyone there has a piece. And he reminds them of the story of the deliverance of God's people. How it was the blood of a lamb. He tells them this and then he says, this is my body. This is my body broken for you. He blessed it, so let's pray. Father, God, what an incredible privilege to call you Father. The same thing Jesus called you, I, I get to call out to you. We pray a blessing over this, this wafer now, Lord, but your body, as we receive it into ourselves until your second coming, Lord, we proclaim your life. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. He then took the cup and he let them know that this is the blood. I am the lamb and this is the blood that will be shed but it won't cover just a doorpost and it won't cover just a generation. It will cover all men for all time. My blood will spare you. I will be exiled. I will be exiled to utter darkness on your behalf. Like Moses with the people in the wilderness, all you must do is look upon the cross at the Savior. See him. This is the blood of a new covenant, he told them. A new covenant between God and his people. And then he blessed him. Father, help me understand, help me see it, Lord. When everything else around me feels like it's swirling or falling apart, help me see you, Lord. Thank you for this reminder that I get to partake with with my brothers and sisters. Thank you. I am not under condemnation but I'm under your covenant. You have draped your righteousness on me like a robe, my salvation like a helmet on my head. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.